All right, everybody, you know what this sound is. It's the sound of another exciting episode. Probably won't be short, though. Uh, let's see if I can adjust this up a little. Check, check. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do a check. Check, check. Strike my signals. Check. Music's a little loud, but that's all right. Check, check. Yeah. My sweet and spicy pecans. Give me a drink. Rescue me, rescue me. SOS. God, I need to rescue me, rescue me. SOS. You gotta help me. Guitar solo. Welcome to another exciting episode of Thoughts from a Lawnmower with your host, Will Rouser. And, um, well, let's just dive right into this because this is probably going to be a long one. And I hope everything sounds good. I'm going to turn my volume up a little bit. I try to do things a little bit uh, off the cuff. But anyway, um, <clears throat> uh, I... Uh, how do I begin this? This is this is kind of odd, but well, as, as I've stated an annoyingly numerous amount of times, this podcast is about what I think, and I want to make some things clear. I I mean I've repeated some of these things, but I want to make th- some things clear. Uh, I'm not a journalist. I don't purport to be a journalist. Uh, I've made it abundantly clear that I'm giving my opinions. That's what this. Uh, podcast is about it's about my thing my what i think and about my opinions but i try to i try to base everything i say on facts and even though i am like everybody else subject to error uh, i don't try to sow to error i try to be as factual and and uh as clear and as straightforward as i can but mistakes can be made and uh i'm not exactly 
researching all sources. I'm like I said, I'm giving my opinion. So anyway, um, even though I tend to make uh, informed observations, as I said, I'm not a reporter. I'm just a podcaster and I do have biases and I'm very upfront about my biases. Okay. I'm just, I am, uh, I want to be truthful and forthright about the topics I ran about, however. And I also have, uh, I have conversations with people who, for the most part, tend to agree with me at some level. However, they don't always agree with me, and, and that's okay. Those conversations are about connecting my listeners with some of my interesting friends. I, in fact, do not care if anyone disagrees with me. In fact, disagreement is fine. Hey, my dog laying over there doesn't even agree with me all the time. Can you imagine that? Well... Yeah, she's flapping her ears, letting you know. <laughs> she agrees with that part. She doesn't always agree with me. Anyway, um, uh, if you've been following me for any length of time, you know that I discuss a lot of different topics, and some of them, some of them are rather unserious. Uh, well, most of them are rather unserious, but every now and then I tend towards a few serious topics, um, and this episode will be one of those topics would be serious. Um, now I want it understood that I, that I make observations based on my worldview and I do have presuppositions. We all do. I try to be objective, but sometimes I'm not. Sometimes with a little nod to the legendary late Rush Limbaugh, I try to illustrate the absurd by being absurd. However, my worldview is based on my Christian faith. Now you may not agree with that, or share that worldview, but I am at least going to be consistent to my worldview. And despite my Christian worldview, I don't have an issue with disagreeing with my fellow Christians if I think they're wrong. Now, the, the topic I want to discuss in this particular episode is I'm going to give you my take on the uh, Alec Baldwin shooting incident. And the issue that I wish to raise is not about Baldwin himself, okay? It's about an inconsistent approach and attitude towards those who are wrong or in unfortunate situations, who wrong or are in unfortunate situations. Okay, so <clears throat> let's begin with what happened. Now, if you, unless you've been living under a rock... Uh, and or you haven't been paying attention to either the news or social media, uh, you have n you've heard about this story. And there's a lot of details that have come out. So all I'm going to do is I'm just going to state some the things that we do know. Okay, apparently Alec Baldwin accidentally shot his cinematographer with a prop gun on the movie set, and the cinematographer was killed and another individual who was a director was wounded. And a, what I guess what they call a cold gun, a gun supposedly loaded with blanks, was handed to Baldwin by the armorer or was handed to Baldwin by an assistant director from the armorer. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly clear on that, but I do know that uh, it passed through the hands of the armorer and the uh, assistant director getting it to Baldwin. Okay, 
And he was practicing, according to the reports, he was practicing drawing his gun for this movie called Rust. Uh, I assume it was a Western, uh, but I don't, I don't really know. I just know that he was, he was practicing his draw. So I'm going to assume it was a Western. Okay. <clears throat> and while practicing drawing his gun, uh, apparently it was loaded with some kind of lethal projectile. And this is an important point to understand. Baldwin did not check the weapon himself. He relied on the word of the person who handed him the prop gun. <clears throat> That's right. I, 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 I am clear on this. I, I just I made on my notes here. Uh, a search warrant confirmed that Baldwin was handed the gun by assistant director David Halls. And Halls told Baldwin that the gun was cold, meaning that it did not contain any live rounds. Um, uh, this, of course, turned out to be false. By all accounts, and as far as the current facts have been revealed, this shooting was an accident. There are other revelations coming out regarding potential safety violations on the set, that safety checks were not strictly enforced on the set, that a camera operator specifically complained about gun safety on the set the weekend prior to the shooting, that there were at least three accidental discharges prior to this event happening, that there were workers who walked off the set because of improper safety conditions, that these workers were replaced by non-union workers in order to avoid production delays. There also seems to be reports of a hostile working environment from the higher levels due to worker complaints. There was a report that the armorer was inexperienced and did not initially feel qualified to oversee firearms on the set of another film. And as a side note, uh, since I began putting together the material for this podcast, apparently the, uh, the young, inexperienced armorer has spoken out uh, maintaining that there were there were she had given warnings about Im improper issues. Apparently, she's she's stating that she's not the only one to blame in this tragic event. So um, it does seem like certain things are falling towards her, but I don't have any specific. I, I could I I just happen to see that. While I was gathering information of this, we can go and research it uh, to see what she exactly said. But apparently, she is she has spoken out since the news has come out about her. Anyway, um, it's also reported that the non-union excuse me the non-union crew members of the set were using the firearm on the morning of the fatal accident for quote unquote leisure shooting. Now, this is important, okay? The gun was used for what is called plinking, P-L-I-N-K-I-N-G, in which people shoot at beer cans with live rounds. <clears throat> so far, the investigation has shown that the armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, handled the prop gun, then left the weapon on a cart outside the set location they were filming from. Assistant Director Dave Halls then retrieved the gun and handed it to Baldwin, announcing that it was a cold gun. There is no indication so far if the gun had been taken between the times that Miss Reed and Mr. Halls handled it. However, 
it is abundantly clear that this weapon was not properly checked by Reed, Halls, or Baldwin. Now, that's an important detail, okay? Now, even though these details happen to be what's known about the situation thus far, the incident is still only, I think it's a little over a week old. So surely there will be more details forthcoming as the investigations and internal reviews are being conducted. Also, it is possible that there will be lots of opinions, half-truths, and falsehoods masquerading as facts as the story further unfolds. It's also worth noting that Baldwin appears to be horrified at what happened. Now, before I say anything else, allow me to acknowledge that it does appear to be an accident. I don't believe, as far as the reported facts are concerned, that Baldwin had any malicious intent. In fact, I think he probably probably feels tremendously bad right now. Now, despite the fact that I have some issues with Baldwin, I don't believe that he is to blame for this incident as far as the intent to willfully cause harm. I'm not wishing to join the chorus in taking joy at his misfortune. I think this incident will haunt him probably for the rest of his life. And I'm sure that Baldwin feels shame, embarrassment, and regret for the death of a colleague. However, and this is a big however, however, Baldwin is not above legitimate criticism here. Now, I'm going to read to you I'm going to kind of uh, go in a slightly different direction here. Well, not really a different direction, but I'm going to pause those thoughts and move on to read something to you. It's a post on Facebook by Michael Sweet. Those of you who know who Michael Sweet is, he is guitar player and vocalist and leader of the band Striper. Big fan of Striper. I've been a big fan of Striper since I was a teenager. Great band, great musicians, and I respect Michael Sweet. I don't necessarily agree with everything he writes in this, but I want to, for context, I want to kind of give some perspective, okay? He writes this. Oh, well, before I even say what he, read you what he wrote, let me say this, that I saw this post that Michael Sweet put up because somebody else shared it. Actually, there was three uh, three or four others that shared it, and I just happened to see it. And these are people who happen to share a viewpoint that I don't necessarily agree with. All right, but we'll get to that as we go on in the podcast. So let me read to you what Michael Sweet says. All right. He says, quote, It's easy to fall into the hate hole. If enough people dig that hole then many will jump in and let the hate consume them, just like quicksand. I know this is already old news, but I feel for Alec Baldwin and his family. I understand that he is a strong voice for the left. Pause. Yes, he is, and that's an important point. That's going to be an important point in the rest of my podcast, but I'll move on. Okay, But he is also a human being, one that God loves just as much as anyone else. Why on earth do many folks take something painful and heartbreaking and turn it into something hateful and unforgiving? When will the madness end? I guess never this side of heaven. The problem lies with too many darkened hearts having the ability to share their darkness. 
Don't contribute to the darkness. Shine a light instead. Instead of spewing hate for Alec and his family, try a little tenderness, as the song says, and see where that goes. Pray for him, them, slash them, and consider the fact that it could be any one of us. It was, it was a tragic, terrible accident, and Alec will have to live with that for the rest of his life. Show some compassion and understanding. We're called to do this, not to seek and destroy. Many prayers to the Baldwin family and the Hutchins family as they navigate through this very dark storm. Now, I want to go back real quick before I continue on with my my thoughts here. There's something that, that Sweet says that I, I have to take issue with. Now, let me say this. I don't know Sweet. I don't know Michael Sweet. And I'm not trying to bust his chops on this. I'm not trying to uh, flame him or uh, unfairly criticize him. What he's written is very noble. But I'm... I'm going to express a disagreement here when he says, pray for him slash them and consider the fact that it could be any one of us. No. It, yes, accidents happen. We could, we could, we could say that. But it's not an accident that we're talking about. And I'm going to illustrate this when we, when I get further on down the road here, but this is also another point of contention that I have. And it's not just with Michael Sweet. It's with basically everybody who is coming out and saying, we need to have compassion on Alec Baldwin. Now, again, I want you to understand, I've already stated, I believe this is an accident. I'm not going to take joy in his misfortune. I believe that he is horrified at this and saddened by this. I agree with all of that, okay? So I'm not trying to pile on. But as I stated before I read Sweet's post, Baldwin is not above legitimate criticism here, okay? While I believe that this was an unfortunate accident, and I don't believe that Baldwin had any malicious intent, this accident was preventable. And giving the prior details that I have illustrated above, and his particular negative view of guns and gun ownership, it's not without merit that he had helped to foster an unsafe environment where something like this was almost bound to happen. I think Baldwin is innocent of mis- malicious intent. However, I think he is guilty of negligent ignorance. As producer and lead actor, he was essentially the boss, and therefore what happens is his responsibility. In other words, he should have known better. And although his particular political views are not the issue with this incident, it is precisely because of his personal animus against private gun ownership that he was ignorant of proper gun handling and safety measures. Any responsible gun owner would have known to check that weapon, even if they saw someone check it before handing it to them. Those who have publicly mocked Baldwin for this incident precisely because of his politics know that it was precisely because of his politics that he was ignorant of the proper and common safety protocols that all responsible gun owners have already internalized. I spoke with several of my friends who are not only gun owners, but they have, you know, they've been in professions where they were required to use their weapon, be it uh, police, 
be it in the military, and I can tell you, and I've been out shooting with these individuals, and I can tell you that they all are very, very competent in weapons handling, and they're very, very conscious of safety measures, okay? And even I, whenever I'm handed a gun, if, if I watch somebody that I know knows how to handle a weapon, even I will check that weapon before I will point it at anything. You say, well, William, that's nice and all. You know, I'm sure Baldwin didn't have any intent. It's not the point. The point is because he has a personal animus towards gun ownership, he shouldn't be surprised that those that he has vilified, and he has, he has vilified people for private gun ownership along with other, uh, he's supported other leftist causes. And it's precisely because of his beliefs about gun ownership that he feel felt that he didn't need to learn anything about how to properly handle guns. Because in his mind, he thinks that legitimate, responsible gun owners just don't want to get rid of their toys, their dangerous toys. And that's just not the case. So, again, while his politics aren't the issue here, his politics didn't cause the accident. His, his mindset didn't prevent this accident from occurring. This was an inevitability. This kind of mindset is an inevitability. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, one of the things is that I work in, a, in an area where I have where I have to work around machinery moving with moving parts and it's pretty safe it's pretty safe however there are protocols in place that we have to follow which if we violate them not only is there potential for injury and or death uh, you can certainly lose your job if you get caught not doing these protocols and although I think in a large portion of the time whenever uh, my company talks about safety it's almost it's almost just something that they say because they have to say it safety is important and you have to have a you have to have a safe mindset and I, like I said I work around equipment that has moving parts and things of that nature and there are times when I have to go clear what they call a jam or something like that and I have to actually shut the machine down to stop its motion and then I have to and and to cut the power and I have to lock out and tag it out. I have to lock it with a lock, take the key and I have to put my badge on it with a safety tag on it. All those all those things those are all redundancies, but they all have to be in place. Okay, now once I lock that out at the main box, the people on the other side who have the start buttons, they can't, fizz, they, it will not start. However, even if I have it locked out and somebody else comes along and sees it's locked out, they can't get up on the machine until they put their badge on there along with the lock. So you'd say, well, that's kind of redundant. Yes, it is redundant and it's time consuming. However, in the two decades that I've been with this company, I've never seen an even close to an injury or, or of, of any kind due to following those safety procedures. And they're in place for a reason. And I'll, I'll tell you another situation that happened several years ago. I had a partner while I was up. I was the one at the, uh, I was the one not getting the jam. My partner was. And while I was standing there, we had, we had the, the line was down. 
because my partner had locked out, tagged out, and had gotten up on the machine doing exactly like he was supposed to have done. And I had an operations manager walk up to me and he said, I need this line running. And I told him that I couldn't, I could not run this line. It was obvious that it was locked out and tagged out. And he said, I need you to start this line. And I said, I'm not going to start this line. And he looked at me as if I had, like he wanted to fire me. He couldn't fire me, but because he, he knew he was wrong. But now I couldn't physically turn, I, I could have hit the button and still wouldn't have been able to turn it on. But that's not the point. I refused to even do that because I couldn't see my partner. So my partner was, he was way down the lane and he was up in a position where I couldn't see him. So even though I knew it was locked out, I couldn't see him, and I was not going to even attempt to start that machine, even though I physically couldn't start the machine because he had it locked out. My whole point about this was that had I followed, or had I followed the man's orders and pushed, pushed the button, nothing would have happened because the the power was locked out. But that's not the point. The point is that I had a culture of safety in my mind because I knew that my partner I could not see. And even if everything, all the safety features are activated, anything can happen. Me pushing that button may have resulted in that man's injury or death. So I totally refused to start that machine. Now, as it turned out, it, it, would, it didn't amount to anything with my operations manager. He knew he was wrong and it wasn't going to go any farther than that. But I remember telling my partner about it after the ops manager was had walked away, I told him about it. Now, he knew he had locked out. My partner had known he that he had locked it out, so he didn't feel some kind of way. But the very fact that somebody was ignorant of the protocols because he wanted to get things going, he wanted to get things moving, he didn't like the fact that we were stopped, even though we had a legitimate reason for being stopped. My partner was incensed at my operations manager and justifiably so. And it also he was also became trust I became trustworthy because he knew that I had his back. And see that's the that's what the culture of safety is supposed to be about. And gun owners know this. Gun owners know that there are things that you must do to prevent accidents from happening. We have a saying on the job that Safety begins with you. Safety begins with you. Every decision you make affects safety. And when you fail to do something safe, when you fail to make a safe decision, you're not just affecting yourself, you're affecting other people. Now, I realize that there are times when you can do something, someone's going to call it unsafe, and it has nothing to do with safety. I get that. But there has to be this culture of safety procedures, and especially when you're handling firearms. Prop gun or not, as I stated before, it's already been reported that there were three other incidences of guns going off. Well, guns don't just go off by themselves, okay? Guns don't load themselves. Guns don't empty themselves. It takes a human agent. So anyway, Again, back to Baldwin. I'm going to tell you this right now. I've seen a couple of the mocking memes on Facebook. Uh, one was one of them. Mark safe from Alec Baldwin today. From, or Mark safe from being uh, shot by Alec Baldwin today. And I think that's funny. I think that's hysterical. 
Now, some might regard me as a Christian, as a Christian, shouldn't do that. Nope, because, well, you've earned it. You have earned it. Mockery can be a very effective tool. Shaming people can be a very effective tool. Now, you might be thinking, well, Will, you just said you're not going to pile on to Alec Baldwin. I'm not. I'm not going to. But I do find it amusing. Not his, not the misfortune, not not the accident. I don't find that amusing, but I find the fact that his his own words are coming back to bite him, and his own attitudes are coming back to bite him. Let's remember something, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna move on from this, but I kind of want to just marinate in this a little bit. Let's remember something, okay? Whether you like like it or not, we watched Alec Baldwin on Saturday Night Live relentlessly and mercilessly mock Trump before he was elected, and even after he was elected. And there was a whole lot of factually deficient things being said about President Trump. You don't have to like him. You don't have to support him. didn't have to vote for him. That's not what I'm talking about. It was very clear that Alec Baldwin didn't have a problem mocking other people. Now, I'm not doing an eye for an eye. All right? I'm not, I'm not doing that. But what I'm saying is that where was his compassion? Where was where was Alec Baldwin's compassion for another man? And let me remind you of something else. That I remember when President Trump's brother died. And although I don't remember if Alec Baldwin specifically said anything, he may have, he may not have. But certainly the the people who run in his circles, his his ideological circles, said things like, wrong brother died, wishing death on President Trump. And I didn't see Baldwin come out and defend Trump about that. I'm not saying he should have. I'm simply saying I didn't see it come out. You say, well, that wasn't Alec Baldwin. No, it wasn't. But it was people that he ideologically agreed with and he had hitched his wagons to. So, you know, I mean, tit for tat. Okay. Now, having said all of that, it's really not Baldwin that I wish to talk about. When I first heard the reports about the accident, it didn't even occur to me to make some kind of comment on social media, especially Facebook. I, I saw the report. I thought it was horrible. And, you know, I had some private thoughts about it, but that's all that they were. I didn't make, I didn't make any public I didn't, I didn't post anything. I didn't say, well, he deserved this or, well, I'm not surprised or ha, ha, ha. I didn't do any of that. And the reason why I didn't do any of that is because it never crossed my mind to do anything like that. I'm not saying that others who did are right or wrong. I'm simply saying it didn't cross my mind to do it. So I was just happily sitting back and watching as this drama unfolded. Now, <clears throat> while I considered it a very unfortunate and tragic accident uh, and tragic event, I had no facts about it. And despite my opinions of Baldwin as a person, not as an actor, I think he's a fine actor, I had no motivation to comment. And while I did see uh, a few people, make, you know, both Christian and non-Christian, making mocking statements about Baldwin. And while I found some of them humorous, I didn't know enough at the time about the situation to decide whether the mocking was appropriate or not. 
I really didn't. So in short, my mind didn't even go there. Not because I was or wasn't offended, but because I didn't have anything to say. What did get my mind what did get my mind reeling was a couple of comments by some of my from some of my Christian friends on Facebook. And I'm not going to I'm not going to call them out. I'm not going to call names or anything. It's not important. So, but right now I want to address the Christians in the audience more than the non-Christians, okay? So forgive me if this sounds a little Sunday school lesson type, you know, instead of a podcast. But since this is a podcast about what I think, I'm going to address it here. At any rate, uh, one of the comments made by a, a friend, he was posting a passage of scripture, and this is the scripture he posted. All right, and it was shared, so you know, he was he. I'm sure he wasn't the first, but anyway, he said that the it's uh, Proverbs 24:17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. And then, as an addendum to that uh, scripture, he my friend posted even Alec Baldwin. Now. We as Christians, we Christians should not despise the Word of God. However, I'm just going to state it right now. And again, this is about what I think. I believe this is a misuse of Scripture here. It is meant to manipulate the silence of criticism rather than to elicit compassion. I don't like it when my fellow Christians, whatever their intent, try to forge guilt in their brothers and sisters in Christ. By the way, I chose not to uh, comment on my friend's post because... For a couple of reasons. Number one, no matter what I would have said, gentle or not, it would have started an unnecessary argument. I would have been painted as the guy trying to defend the indefensible, in this case mocking Baldwin during a tragic time. Um, The third reason is everybody would have missed my point. Fourthly, my credibility would have been unnecessarily diminished in the eyes of those people that I like, even if I don't always agree with them. It would make me look as if I don't agree with the Bible and therefore treading close to heretical thinking. And I guess lastly, my opinion really doesn't matter. You know, it just doesn't really matter. At some point, you just got to scroll by. It's just not not worth the effort or the energy. However... I read that post, and while I can agree with the script, what the Scripture is teaching, I cannot agree with the blanket application of it outside of its proper context. And I'm going to go back to something I said earlier, and, and this is, uh, I guess I would say, this is what goes around comes around. So I'm going to throw a Scripture at you. I'm, uh, I'm using my podcast to kind of throw this out here. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. And it says this, quote, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now, there are so many ways to apply this passage of Scripture, including out of context, and I'm not trying to do that. But what I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and apply it to the situation that I've been talking about. First of all, We've been told that we shouldn't delight in Baldwin's tragedy because he has political views that differ from ours. And it's true. He, it is true that, that his political views are 180 degrees out of phase of mine. And it is true. I'm not, I'm not going to delight in the death of, it's an accidental death of someone just because 
I firmly and fervently disagree with Baldwin on a tremendous amount of things. But I, I agree with that. We shouldn't we should not delight in in the tragedy. It's, it's terrible. But yet, like I said earlier, Baldwin delighted in mocking a certain former president mercilessly precisely because of his political stances. Baldwin delighted in mocking, maligning, mischaracterizing, and misrepresenting his political opponents. Baldwin didn't have all the facts before he led into his political adversaries, using his platform as a Hollywood star to further his own political rhetoric. And I might remind you that Baldwin had also had, had numerous public outbursts. Now, Baldwin might be a fine actor, but his personal character is definitely questionable. So in a very real sense, Baldwin is reaping what he has been sowing into the public eye for years. Why are we then surprised to see it when he is mocked almost relentlessly, relentlessly excuse me, by those that he vilified publicly? I want to I want to stress that there, okay? It wasn't just Christians that are mocking him. It's non-Christians, and we've said it before, pagans are going to peg, heathens are going to heathe, non-Christians are going to non-Christian. That's what they're going to do. And the Bible says that what you sow is what you will reap. It says that when you sow to the flesh, from that flesh you will reap destruction. It's not just talking, this is not just a spiritual application. I, you know, I don't believe in karma, but karma, what goes around comes around. What you sow is what you will reap. And why are we surprised at this? And why is Alec Baldwin surprised at this? Well, I get it. He doesn't think, he really doesn't think that these rules apply to him. And yes, that is a criticism of his character. Baldwin has called those in in the public he does not politically agree with as stupid. Okay? He has done that. He has also used his platform of fame to insult even people that he does not know. Now, I'll say this. Baldwin is not my personal enemy. I don't know him personally, and he doesn't know me. I've never interacted with him, especially since I'm John Q. Public and he's a famous actor. However, people who keep themselves in the public eye should expect to be scrutinized by that same public. When you insult the intelligence of your audience, it is not unreasonable for that audience to feel less inclined towards your personal plights. Being a famous actor does not insulate you from criticism. Now, I have no axe to grind with Baldwin, even though I find him appalling on several levels. I even agree to a limited extent that we shouldn't mock him relentlessly for what appears to be an accident. And I want to make that clear. I've said that several times, almost nauseously so. I've said that several times. But I guarantee you that there's going to be people who listen to this podcast who will not hear any of the times that I said. I agree. We should not mock him relentlessly for an accident. However, I completely understand that there's legitimate criticism and that criticism should not be conflated with glee at his misfortune. Secondly, I have noticed that many Christians have a tendency to be partial to those who are famous, having and demanding of others more compassion for them than for those who are considered quote-unquote nobodies. I've watched as celebrities have passed away, especially in my case, metal musicians, and they are treated with a special respect that isn't afforded regular people. Even if those particular celebrities have been really bad in their people, really bad people in their lives, they become almost sainted 
by adoring fans. Now, I don't have a problem with giving them respect, the respect that they may have earned in their professional lives. And I, and I don't have a problem with not speaking ill of the dead. However, we probably shouldn't venerate some people to the point of declaring, hey, so-and-so, my favorite celebrity got saved, when you have no idea if that's true because you weren't there. And just because you hope beyond hope that your favorite celebrity didn't die lost. Now, I'm going to give you two examples of this, okay? It seems like I'm going off in the weeds, but I'm not. It's interesting how we treat celebrities differently. Even Christians, they tend to do this, okay? Now, I'm going to give you two examples from the metal music world, from the rock and metal music world, Ronnie James Dio and my hero, Eddie Van Halen, who I've made, made it very clear that he is my hero. Well, Ronnie James Dio is the first. Now, I listened to Ronnie's music, and I respected Ronnie professionally. He's fant- he was a fantastic singer, but his religious and spiritual views were not Christian. He was not a Christian. Now, I don't think he was a bad guy, but he was not a Christian, and he said he wasn't. If you watch any, if you watch uh, the interviews he's done with, uh, was it Banger? I mean, you can find it on YouTube. When he talks about religion, he's not talking. He he's not talking very favor- favorably about Christianity. His beliefs on heaven and hell are not, you know, biblical at all. And that, he's gone now. He's been gone for ten years. I'm not trying to speak ill of him. I'm simply stating that Dio did not purport to be a believer or a follower of Christ, didn't think it was important, and he thought that all the way into his later years. Now, I remember hearing after Ronnie died, I remember hearing some people saying that he somehow had a deathbed confession. Now, I wasn't there. I don't think that's likely. Now, I remember, I loved Ronnie James Dio. I loved his music. But you can't conflate your love and respect for a person with the reality of the fact that they didn't believe, they didn't claim to be believers, and there's no evidence of any kind. And I, I hope I'm wrong. I want to think, I'd love to think that I'm wrong on this. But the truth is, we don't know. So these people making these claims that Ronnie James Dio got saved before he died, that's just a claim. You have no evidence of that. And why are you doing that? Why are you more concerned with Ronnie's salvation than, say, the homeless guy down the street in your neighborhood or the guy that comes into church that maybe doesn't look like you or smell like you? Now, I don't, I'm not trying to take the church ta- to task for this. I'm simply, saying, I'm simply saying that in our minds, we tend to, we tend to venerate our heroes and our you know, people that we love and respect and we look up to you know, the famous, the rich, the wealthy. And I believe that's called partiality. And I believe that the Bible talks about that. Um, now, I'm going to cite another example, Eddie Van Halen. Similar situation happened. Now, I've, I've never hidden the fact that Eddie was my biggest influence. And I loved him and respected him. And he's the man that made me want to play guitar. But over the years, that I, as I've looked at his life, and he's gone now. I'm not trying to, not trying to speak ill of him, but he was not at all. He made no claims to following Christ, and that's what salvation is based on. 
Salvation is in Christ alone. Those of you out there who are posting stuff on Facebook, in Christ alone, in Christ alone, in Christ alone. You're right, okay, that's fine. But then some of you will turn right around and venerate people. you'll, You'll slam the Pope for deceiving people, but then you'll go right on, you'll go on with the deception, venerating people who did not confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, I realize some of you who are listening who are not Christians don't care about that. And I'm not really, I'm, I'm not talking to you. I'm simply pointing out to my Christian brothers and sisters that you tend to have more compassion and more and feel more merciful towards people that are your heroes than the people that you interact with every day. Now, getting back to Eddie, one of the things that that I I remember seeing this, and I knew it was going to happen after Eddie passed away, and I was saddened by it. After Eddie passed passed away, I I I saw a friend on Facebook post Eddie Van Halen got saved, and my first question to him was, how in the world can you possibly know that? I, for all I know, there were only his friends and family, his close close family there when he died. And I I, I didn't, it's possible there may have been a, a minister of the gospel there. I don't know. And whoever it was, if there was a person is not talking about it and they don't, they shouldn't talk about it because it's nobody's business. It's nobody's business in the, in the public, you know, leave the family alone, but don't go saying stuff like that because it's just wrong. Now, I want to, I want to, I want to kind of, I am going a little bit in the weeds and I'm sorry, but there's a lot to talk about here. I, I know I've moved off of Baldwin. Baldwin is, is kind of the overarch here, but I'm talking about when I talk about Ronnie and I talk about Eddie, uh, I'm simply saying that, isn't it interesting how we tend to treat and hope for celebrities we hope that our heroes get saved so we can see them in heaven. But we're not concerned with our next-door neighbor. Why is that? Well, because our next-door neighbor is not somebody famous. Now, let me let me move on to a third point on this. While we're talking about partiality, let's talk about the reverse problem, and that's unhelpful insensitivity. Now, it is also improper to be insensitive to other people just to make yourself appear more saintly and more spiritual than you actually are. There is such a thing as Christian virtue signaling. And I'm going to give you an example. I was, this was not too long ago. Well, it was probably about, see, Edward's been dead a little over a year now. And uh, I, I know I saw this within the last six months. It was a random female poster posting on Wolfgang Van Halen's, uh, that's that's Eddie's son, for those who are, live under a rock, and who's now out touring on his own, own music. But, you know, Wolfgang is still missing his dad, and, and of course, you know, his, his heart's broken, and it's, it's a terrible loss because Eddie was his dad. I remember when I lost my dad, you know, I still think about my dad. It was, it was a terrible, you know, my, my, it broke our hearts because he was my dad. I miss my dad. And I can understand Wolfgang's sadness. But some random female poster on Wolfgang Van Halen's Facebook page or Instagram or whatever, on social media, and I don't remember all the words, but I remember reading it, and it was something like this. Yeah, it said, 
Eddie is Eddie was lost. Your, your father was lost, and he's now in hell. And if you don't confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're going to have the same fate. And I read that, and of course, I read the comments following it, and the uh, the non Christian people who saw that now were heaping scorn, not just on her, but on all Christians, because she has spoken in representation of all Christians by saying that. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's probably true. Eddie was probably lost. And I don't say that, you know, Wolfgang doesn't know who I am. Valerie Bertinelli doesn't know who I am. They don't even know I have, they don't know who I am, know anything about my podcast. I'm not trying to vilify them. I'm not trying to, to pile on and hurt. I'm simply saying that while th- what this lady said may very well be true, she didn't need to say it. She could think that all she wants to, but she doesn't need to say that to people who are gr- grieving. That is completely insensitive. And he's gone now. There's nothing we could do about that. How is that productive? How is saying something like that to somebody who doesn't know anything about the gospel, whose impressions of church are probably skewed at best, or impressions of Christians are probably skewed at best, and you're going to simply give them more ammunition to hate us? Now, the Bible says that we're going to be hated because of Christ. Fine. I accept that as part of the cost. But my problem is, why are you making it worse? Why are you adding insult to injury? And I think, I don't remember if I did or not. I don't, maybe I didn't. I don't remember. Somebody responded to her. I don't know if it was me or it was somebody else, but that was completely and totally inappropriate for that woman to get on there and say that. Yes, it might be true. As a Christian, I have to I have to admit it's probably true. At the same time, what you just did was not healing, it was not helping. There was no compassion in that statement. But you just want to be I'm speaking to the woman who said this. You just want to look spiritual. You want to put a notch on your Bible. You want to make yourself look more important in the kingdom because you've said something true. Well, and again, I am going a little out on the weeds on this, but there's a lot, there's a lot to this. One of the things that bothers me about, you know, we, we care about truth. The the Bible says, and and I, I think this is over. I think this is misquoted a lot, but there is truth to this. We are supposed to express truth in love. I want to tell you a situation. I don't have the scripture in front of me. I want to say it was in the book book of Mark. No, it might be in the book of Luke. Now that I think about it, but there's a there's a there's a story where Jesus is walking along. I forget where he was going particularly, but on his way to wherever he was going, he ran into a funeral procession, and this this woman had lost her son, who was her only male relative. She was a widow, and her son had died. Now, to to give you a little context, in that day and age, if you were a woman, you didn't have, at least in Palestine, you didn't have any, uh, in Israel, you didn't have any, um, any personal assets. All your personal assets were wrapped up in the males. So if your husband died, you had your sons to take care of you. 
if your sons died, you, you were in bad shape economically. And that's why um, I think the uh, in the book of James, it talks about pure religion is taking care of orphans and widows because they can't take care of themselves. Really, I think that James, it says religion that is pure and faultless is taking care of widows and orphans. Because in that time, if you were a widow or an orphan, you had no inheritance. You were you had no wealth. You had no source of, source of income. So as Jesus is going by this, this funeral procession, he notices that this woman is, is, is weeping heavily. And not only is she weeping for the loss of her son, which was certainly important to her, but she was weeping because she had no hope. She was probably going to be the next one to die of starvation or having no, no place to live or whatever because everything was tied up in the males and she no longer had no males. And this is what the Bible says. It says, Jesus looked upon the woman and had compassion and he healed her son. The Bible doesn't say anything about whether or not that son had lived a virtuous life. It doesn't say anything whether that woman had lived a virtuous life. It, Jesus didn't say, he, it's interesting, he didn't even go to her and say, do you believe I can do this? He didn't do that. He saw her grief and he had compassion on her and he healed her son right there. I want to say that's in Luke. I, I'm kind of framing here, so I didn't really look this up. But I believe, I know that story because I heard a sermon on it friend of mine preached a sermon on that very thing and it was very eye-opening because it's true Jesus felt compassion on that woman and her son and gave her son back to him there's no record of whether or not they were virtuous people they may have been they may not have been but Jesus saw her hurting he didn't preach at her he could have but he didn't and it just says he had compassion on her. It may have been true that she and her son were both lost. It may have been true that they were on their way to hell. It may have been true that the son, who was probably a man, had died doing something stupid. The Bible doesn't say it. I'm not going to assume it. But we we do assume a lot of things with regard to Scripture and we assume that they were probably godly people. But the Bible doesn't say that either. All it says is that Jesus saw her grief, felt compassion on her, and gave and healed her son, brought him back from the dead, and gave him back to her. Now, there's all sorts of things we can extrapolate from that passage, and I'm not trying to do that. My simple point is this. This woman who wrote on Wolfgang Van Halen's, in the comment section, about the spiritual state of his father, while she may have told the unvarnished truth, she had no compassion. She had no compassion for Wolfie missing his dad. I would never say that. I've got tons of friends who are not believers. And they go through things. Some of them go through things by their because of their own decisions and others go through things simply because that's life and life happens to people and the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Okay. I've got friends who've lost. I've got, 
I've got friends who are not believers who have lost a parent or have lost a sibling or have lost a spouse or have lost a child. And the last thing I'm going to do is try to be spiritually correct in an effort to evangelize them. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be compassionate on them. Now, you might be thinking right now, as I'm saying this, that I'm contradicting what I'm saying about Baldwin. Well, Will, then we should have compassion on Baldwin. I'm not saying we shouldn't have compassion on Baldwin. I stated numerous times that I don't think we should pile on. But I've also stated that that doesn't mean there isn't room for legitimate criticism. And also doesn't mean that the situation that he finds himself in was almost inevitable due to the fact that he has a certain mindset and attitude. Um, there, there was a, there's a term, well, I'm going to go way out in the weeds on this. There's a term, uh, I, after my dad died, I never really knew what all my father did in the military. And what I do know is not important to discuss here. But I do know this. I had a friend of mine who was a combat veteran and he told me, he said, what your dad, and and he didn't know my dad. He did some research on my dad and he discovered that there were things he could not access. And And he said this of my father. He said, what your father did, his job gave me the ability to do my job. He used this term and I love this term. And you're going to hear it again in another podcast. He said, your father helped shape the battlefield. That's an interesting term. I'm going to tell you that Baldwin's mindset and attitude helped shape the battlefield that he found him, he finds himself on now. Through his own decisions, his own worldviews, his own attitudes helped shape this. No, I don't believe that he caused this maliciously. I don't believe that he intended to do that. You know, I'm I, as I said earlier in the podcast, I am sure he is terribly, terribly mortified at what has happened at his own hand. But the truth be told, he had sown the seeds of this problem long before it became a problem. Now, he wasn't the only one, but he, and let's also point out, he was also a leader. He is a producer on this film. So ultimately, all decisions had to filter through him. He made the calls. So I'll just leave you to decide that. So again, while I have compassion, we also have to understand that there is culpability. Even if there's no intent, there is culpability. Now, I want to move to what has been, I've, I've spent now over an hour talking about this. It seems like I'm almost contradicting myself. I've tried to be clear in where I'm standing, but none of this really has anything to do with Baldwin. None of this, this podcast, this episode doesn't really have anything to do with Alec Baldwin, even though I have just spent the last hour talking about Baldwin. And how I even think that he has some measure of culpability in this. What this has to do with is less about Baldwin and more about the serious contradictions and how the public, especially the Christians in the arena in, in this arena, are responding to this event. Now, 
I'm going to throw something at you that I know is not going to endear me to a lot of people. But I want you to think about it. I remember when the incident between Officer Derek Chauvin and George Floyd happened. And we all saw the video. And it all definitely looked really, really bad. Now, I want to make it very, very, very clear here. I am not defending Officer Chauvin. I'm not defending him. All I'm doing right now is analyzing the individual public responses to that incident. And it is clear to me that the court of public opinion came to much different conclusions in that situation, meaning Derek Chauvin's, than they have with Baldwin's. Now, you might argue that the two situations are vastly different. And I can say that is true. But I'm not talking about the particulars of the situation. I'm talking about how the Christian public has responded differently to each situation. Now, let me find some similarities between Chauvin's, the the issue with Floyd, the Chauvin's interaction with Floyd and what happened there, and this issue with Baldwin shooting the cinematographer. Okay, I I can find some similarities in how we're supposed to respond as opposed to how we've actually responded. Now, let's examine... The situation, I guess from a broad perspective, and you'll see what I mean. First of all, in both situations, despite the coverage, we don't have all the information. We don't have all the information with the Baldwin situation, and we didn't have all the information with the Chauvin situation. Both situations have political biases influencing people's opinions. Both have examples of pure negligence. Both situations There's tons of unfair unfair presuppositions in each case. In both cases, there's lots of spin in the news reportage. In both situations, there's no waiting for all the pertinent information to be gathered before people rush to judgment, either for or against. There are facts in both cases that either have not been revealed or have been purposely omitted, hidden from the public. Now, We saw everyone in the public, including Christians, vilify Chauvin without mercy. I only heard one voice. There was probably more. I know there was probably more. But I only heard one voice speak out uh, about that very subject. And that was uh, YouTuber A.D. Robles in his Fight, Laugh, Feast network. And Robles said that, yes, the video looks really bad. And if the evidence points to Chauvin's guilt, then he must pay the price. But, Christians, we still have to love Chauvin and have compassion for him, even if he is an enemy. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of compacting that statement because he, he did an entire podcast on that very subject. And he pointed out that there was inconsistencies in how even Christians responded to Derek Chauvin. As a matter of fact, the very people that I'm seeing defend Baldwin were extremely quiet about defending Chauvin. Many argued rightly that Chauvin, I shouldn't call him Chauvin, it's Chauvin, okay? Many argued rightly that Chauvin should not have done what he'd done by using an outdated and dangerous protocol, and I agree. And and every police officer or former police officer I've spoken to has, has made that point. What he did was improper, but we have no evidence that Chauvin had any malicious intent 
or any racist reason for his actions. And that was never proven. It was never brought up in court. They couldn't. There was no proof of that. There was no evidence of that. Now, he was negligent and he lost his job and he should have lost his job. And I'm not saying he shouldn't have gone to jail, okay, because his negligence resulted in a man's death. Although, I'm going to say it was George Floyd's own personal negligence that led to his death as well. It just so happened that the two crossed paths. But that's 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 going too far out in the weeds. But the point is that there was enough culpability for both. But we sainted, I say we, I didn't, but the public sainted uh, George Floyd and they vilified Derek Chauvin. Okay? Now, Chauvin was negligent and for that he should pay a price. Now, here's where I draw the similarity with Baldwin. How then is it Baldwin exempt from paying a price legally? Because he was also negligent. I have already illustrated the negligence of Baldwin. I'm not putting him out there. It's like Chauvin. Okay? I think he was vilified because of his race. Because of the fact, I think they, they sainted George Floyd because of his race. I think that if if George Floyd had been a white guy, that we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have heard anything about him being the, the the neck leaning. We wouldn't have heard anything about that. So there were people in the public who had an axe to grind, a racial axe to grind, and they used this as their, um, uh, there's a word I'm looking for and I can't think of it. At, 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 they, used, they used this to make their point. But it, like I said, Chauvin was negligent. And he had to pay a price. So how how should Baldwin be exempt from paying a price legally? Because while I'm sure he had no intent, he was in charge, and he is the one that pulled the trigger. Uh, he should pay the price legally because he failed to do his due diligence. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna start winding this podcast down, but I'm going to I wanna I wanna throw something else out there, really stir this thing up. Some of you were alive at the time of the O.J. Simpson jury verdict. And I'm not going to spend time to talk about it. We all know what happened, okay? Here's the thing. We all knew that he was guilty. Now, I wasn't in the courtroom, okay? I didn't see all the evidence, but there was enough coverage on everything. We had enough details that we could make a pretty good assessment that O.J. Simpson was guilty as sin, okay? And after the fact... All of the revealed evidence showed that he was guilty. But after the verdict had happened and they declared him not guilty, it was later shown, and I don't, I don't have the woman's name, one of the jurors, I don't have her name, but at the time, and she was interviewed, and I could find it, and I could, I could probably post it. She was asked, point blank, did you, did you believe that O.J. Simpson was guilty? She said yes. And after more questioning, she didn't hide it. She said, she admitted that because the reason why they acquitted O.J. Simpson was in direct reaction to the Rodney King beating trial where the police were found not guilty. So this was revenge. Letting a murderer, O.J. Simpson is a murderer, letting him go was a way to get revenge. 
It might be revenge on you might it, you know you can ascertain who they were trying to get revenge on, but it's very clear that and I'm just gonna say it: the juror was black, and so she was clearly motivated by anything but justice. I remember, and of course we we just lost recently lost the um, the great comedian Norm Macdonald, died of cancer, but. And when he was on Saturday Night Live, he mocked O.J. Simpson relentlessly. Simpson was the fodder for all of his jokes. As a matter of fact, because of those jokes, Norm MacDonald lost his job at Saturday Night Live. And he doesn't regret it. He didn't regret it. He, he said, I, I, you know, I don't regret it. But he pushed the envelope. He was, he knew that O.J. Simpson was guilty and he knew that this was a great miscarriage of justice. And so he mocked, he didn't just mock O.J. Simpson, he also mocked uh, all the attorneys, he mocked, he mocked Judge Ito, uh, Lance Ito I think was his name, he mocked everybody involved. And he got told by the higher-ups at NBC that he needed to stop doing that because one of the higher-ups at NBC was personal friends with O.J. Simpson. Well, as we all know the story, Norm MacDonald kept doing it and kept doing it and it cost him his job. That's, I think Norm MacDonald was one of the bravest comedians ever to be out there because he used humor to illustrate the absurd. He was absurd in order to illustrate the absurd. And in my, in my book, he was probably one of the bravest comedians ever. I didn't like everything that he said, but he had, I'll just say he had iron stones. <laughs> And he was not afraid of even people in higher-ups. Now, you'd say, well, what does this got to do with the Alec Baldwin situation? Well, what all this ties into is the fact that we Christians, we kind of pick and choose who we're going to be compassionate on and who we're not going to be compassionate on. Like I said before, the same people who were calling for compassion on Baldwin were the same people who were silent over the compassion or having compassion over Derek Chauvin. I wonder why that is. Did you have did you have some kind of emotional uh, attachment to Alec Baldwin as a or some you know we, we sit here and say we shouldn't we shouldn't vilify uh, Baldwin just because he happens to be politically different than you. But you certainly didn't have that problem with Derek Chauvin. And many of you didn't have any necessarily, of course, this was years ago, but think about how you reacted to uh, O.J. Simpson. Should we have should we have not laughed at Norm MacDonald's jokes, mocking Simpson? Should we have had compassion over O.J. Simpson because of this tragedy that happened? Because we really don't know if he's guilty, do we? Well, of course we do. We know that he's guilty. And all I'm trying to say with all of this, as I wind this down, all I'm trying to say is that maybe you shouldn't be so selective with who you're going to be compassionate on. And don't try to try to vilify the rest of us because maybe we see, see the need to do a little mockery in order to bring out the point and bring out the truths of what's going on. I feel sorry for Baldwin in some ways, 
But I don't feel sorry for him in getting mocked. Just like many of you didn't feel sorry for Trump when he got mocked. Some of you Christians even laughed at that, even though most of it was completely untrue and unfair. But it's okay because it's Alec Baldwin, and you're, you just want to be compassionate on him. Is because, like I was, like I was saying about Eddie Van Halen and Ronnie James Dio, is it because you care more about those that you want compassion on them? Again, I love those guys, okay, and I don't think it's right to just do like what that that woman that I flamed just a little bit ago. I don't think that's right. But at the same time, I don't think it's right that some of you. Christians should vilify other Christians, throw scripture out there, you know, you're going to take one passage of scripture and you're going to throw that in our faces, but you're going to totally ignore the other ones to talk about reaping and sowing. Alec Baldwin sowed into this situation. I'm sure he didn't have intent, and I do feel sorry for him, but I think some of you have your judgments misplaced. Well, I've said enough, and I want to thank you for joining me on this episode of Thoughts from a Lawnmower, and I hope to have a happier topic next time around. I'll say this. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. I, I'm not worried about that. As a matter of fact, I encourage, I encourage you to, be, to disagree with me, but disagree with me on the merits of the situation. Don't attack me out of emotion. Disagree with me on the merits of it. At any rate, thanks for joining me, guys. Uh, I appreciate all my listeners, and I hope to see you soon, or you hear me soon, on the next uh, episode of Thoughts from a Lawnmower. Take care.